Hello, welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple, and we have another interview for you coming up with a very special guest after a few quick updates. We are already six months through the year as we record this in June, and 2023 is looking to be another special year for us. Most of our fall races, like Chicago and New York City, are full. Uh, we have waiting lists, unfortunately, at this point, which is just crazy to, to think we're, we're six months from those races and, and they're already sold out. But we have many great opportunities in Detroit, uh, a new race that we added this year, which is the South Norwalk Half Marathon 5K here in Connecticut. We have the Chicago Half Marathon, and we also have a couple remaining spots in the Twin Cities Marathon, which happens in the fall, as well as a few spots, not many spots, in the Berlin Marathon, uh, which is part of our World Major Series. We also have many virtual events going on throughout the year. Uh, we're just coming off our Dino's Double. Um, we'll be launching our Work Harder event that happens later in the summer along with our new Urban Repel series. We're gonna be repelling in Hartford, Connecticut in September uh, to learn more about all of our events, our races, our virtual events, and our Urban Repel series, along with our trip to Italy that's happening this fall, which we still have some spots available. You can learn more at our website at projectpurple.org. Make sure to follow us wherever you follow, social media to stay up to date on all the latest and greatest of Project Purple as well. Without further ado, let's meet our guest today coming to us all the way from the Maryland area, Charles Tucker. Charles, welcome to the Project Purple podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, well, it's the pleasure's all mine. Um, before we get into your background, I just want to say this. I know we were talking a little bit beforehand. You're retired military, Marine Corps. I believe you said 27 years, and I just want to thank you for your service. Um, it's pretty special. I know the, you know, with everything going on in the world today, and and you know, even here in our country, um, I think sometimes, uh, you know, we often forget why we have what we have, and it's for people like yourselves who served our country throughout the years to allow us to have the liberties that we have. I know I mentioned, uh, you know, very close family member was in the military for a long, long time. So um, you probably don't get the thanks that you uh that you usually get or should get or should deserve i should say so i just wanted to to, to say thank you for for all you've done for the country and, and for your military service well thank you i appreciate it. that it means a lot so uh as we were saying um you know before we hit record our first kind of part of the podcast is really the guests opportunity to kind of share their journey most of our audience uh probably don't know about you, uh, hopefully, then that's that's a good thing because uh, yep. that's why we're doing this podcast is to to share your journey and and to amplify awareness and and to bring this uh, to the forefront um, for this thing called pancreatic cancer. So with that, I'm going to hand the mic over to you. And and as I said before, we hit record. Um, you can say as high level as you want, or you can go in the in the weeds uh, as much as you want. I will be taking notes. And with that, Charles, uh, the microphone is yours. Okay. Um, I think it's interesting that we scheduled this for today because uh, two days from now will be three years that uh, that I received the uh, the diagnosis that uh, uh, I had pancreatic cancer. So it's it's very timely. Uh, so June 11th, uh, I was uh, I was diagnosed. But the, just to give you a, a, how I came to the diagnosis, uh, we had been out with some friends to a winery, um, just having a, a good time, sitting in lawn chairs and. Um, I came home and I started having some pain in my lower back. This was on a Sunday. 
had some pain in my lower back and it, it continued and it started getting a little bit worse and worse. And then uh, I guess on Monday or Tuesday, it kind of migrated around to my lower abdomen. And, and again, the pain was, uh, it was enough that it got my attention. So I made an appointment with, uh, with my primary care physician and I went in and we talked and uh, he said, uh, well, let's run some blood tests and see what, see what's up. And he called um, probably the next day and uh, talked to my wife and said, you need to get him to the ER as quickly as you can. His liver enzymes are just off the chart. So I went to the local hospital here in, uh, in Carroll County, uh, Maryland, and um, they run some tests, did a scope and said, well, we, we, we believe that it's probably pancreatic cancer. We're not 100% sure, but we're going to send you to Sinai in, in Baltimore and let them uh, do some more tests. And so I uh, went to Sinai, they ran the scope, put a stent in, and um, my wife got, got the call on the 11th and said, uh, well, we hate, hate to inform you, but, uh, but your husband does have uh, pancreatic cancer. We're not sure what stage it is, but um, you need to get him started under uh, uh, some medical care. And fortunately, my neighbor across the street, he works at Johns Hopkins Hospital, which you may or may not know is, uh, is probably the, the third best hospital in the United States for pancreatic cancer uh, care. So we, we were able to get an appointment with, uh, with their uh, pancreatic cancer team. Uh, they did some tests and um, decided it was probably stage three, borderline stage four. And got me started on chemo. Obviously, I had to have the port and everything put in, but uh, got me started on chemo in uh, in July. I had twelve rounds of chemo from. I'm going to refer to my notes. I hope you don't mind. No, I had go ahead. Twelve rounds of chemo from um, July to December, and I was uh, supposed to have my Whipple surgery in uh, in January. So when I went for my pre-op for uh, um, the uh, Whipple surgery. I found out that I had COVID. So that obviously delayed that and, and threw in a, uh, another round of chemo. So I ended up with 13 rounds of chemo. I had to wait eight weeks uh, before I could have the surgery. Uh, fortunately, I, I um, tolerated the chemo extremely well. Uh, I didn't lose my hair. Uh, obviously, it depends on what, uh, what cocktail they give you, but I didn't lose my hair. I didn't get sick. I did get tired, uh, you know, a couple of days after each round of chemo. You know, I would come home with, um, at that time, I called it a chemo grenade. It was uh, kind of a gravity feed. It was a little, about the size of a baseball, and it would just, uh, it would feed. And being a retired Marine, I just, I referred to it as a, as a chemo grenade. So I'd, I'd come home with that, and then my wife would, uh, would take that down on, uh, on Friday, have my chemo every, every other Wednesday. Um, but as I said, I, I did, uh, I tolerated the chemo quite well. And the first round of chemo, first rounds of chemo that I had, I may not pronounce this right, Dino, but um, Fossa prepotent, is that, does that sound correct, is what the, is what the chemo was. Um, and Aridican, I, 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 like I yeah. said, I'm probably not pronouncing them right, but that's what the, uh, yeah. that's, go ahead. No, Aridican is correct. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so that's, that's the chemo that I had. Um, so then after that, I... Um, had to wait for the Whipple surgery, which was uh, um, done on uh, March 26th of 2021. And again, I, I thought that, I think that uh, I was in, in fairly good health before all this started. So I think that's one of the reasons why I have tolerated 
some of the things that I have gone through um, well. Uh, I, I did have a few setbacks. I ended up in the hospital a couple of times for some for some complications. I had a biliary drain in my gallbladder that uh, uh, created issues. So we had to spend a little bit of time in the hospital for that. But I had the Whipple and tolerated that, recovered well, lost a lot of weight, gained some of it back, not all of it. Um, and then uh, had a, a CT scan. I'm not sure of the date, but I had a CT scan and um, they thought that they saw some signs of metastasis to my liver and my lungs, just small nodules in, in both. And so they decided that um, I needed radiation. So starting in December of uh, 2021 through February of 2022, I had 25 rounds of chemo, or I'm sorry, of radiation every day, obviously, except for weekends, uh, and also uh, oral chemo. Uh, Cipro is what, uh, what I was taking mm-hmm. for the oral chemo. And that seemed to have, um, the doctor thought that, that it was doing a good job of, of slowing things down or stopping things. Uh, then I had another um, CT scan and they decided that, well, it looks like it may be you need some more chemo. So I started chemo again in December of, uh, let's see, December of last year and am still uh, going through chemo uh, every other week. And I spoke to, uh, to my oncologist and said, well, how long am I going to continue with the chemo? And she said, well, as long as it's working, you're going to continue in, until it doesn't work anymore. So yeah, that's kind of a, a good thing and a bad thing. You know, it's, it's every other week. So you have to adjust your schedules. You, there's things that you that you would like to do that maybe you can't do. But, you know, when you consider the alternative, it's, uh, you know, adjusting some schedules to do some things uh, or not do things. That's a, you know, it, it's a pretty good deal. So um, that's where I'm right now. And the chemo that I'm on right now is... Uh, they call it FU, uh, which is very appropriate, I think. <laughs> but it's, uh, is it uh, Florida cells? Is that, is that, am yeah. I pronouncing that correctly? So that's what yeah. I'm on now. And again, I'm tolerating it very well. I did have some issues with the, uh, with the first round. Uh, when they started the, uh, the infusion, I started getting some terrible pain in my lower back. And my, my infusion room just filled up with, uh, with medical people uh, wondering what was going on. And I guess they determined that it was the, um, what they were giving me was just a little bit too strong. Uh-huh. So uh, every round since then, they have reduced the um, uh, the dosage by about uh, 20%. So I'm getting 80% of what I got the first time. And I guess because it was so strong on the first round uh, that I actually did start losing my hair. So, you know, I, I shaved my head and haven't, haven't had short hair for almost my entire adult life. You can see now that I still have short hair, but it, uh, it made no difference to me. So, um, that's, uh, that's pretty much where I, where I, um, where I am as far as, uh, um, my journey to, to this point. And, you know, when we talked before we talked about survivors and, and fighters, um, I'm definitely a fighter. I'm definitely a survivor. You know, we, we know that, um, the survival rate for stage four pancreatic cancer is, is less than five years. Um, I'm just at my, my third year and I plan on seeing that fifth year. Uh, I, I honestly do. I feel good. Uh, we all have our ups and downs, but for the most part, I, I feel very good. Um, I will, I will have to say that if it wasn't for my wife, Valerie, though, uh, things wouldn't be as good. She is a, a breast cancer survivor. 
we were in Houston when uh, she was diagnosed with breast cancer and she had her uh, treatment done at MD Anderson, which very fortuitous because they're one of the best breast cancer hospitals in, in the country. Mm-hmm. And now here we, we moved to Baltimore and I'm at Johns Hopkins, which is one of the best uh, uh, pancreatic cancer hospitals in the world. But without her as my, as my patient advocate, uh, I, I probably wouldn't be doing as, as well as, as I am. So kudos to her for uh, keeping me in line, making sure I take my meds when I need to, keeping track of the appointments and, and asking the, uh, the burning appropriate questions to my oncologist and uh, my radiologist to know that uh, we know what's going on and, and how things are. So that's pretty much my story, you know? Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that with the audience here, Charles. I, I got a, a ton of questions. Okay. Um, what was your what was your last role in the Marines? I was I, I had an interesting career in the Marine Corps. Uh, for those that uh, may not be familiar with the uh, with the military rank structure, there's there's uh, the enlisted ranks and the officer ranks, mm-hmm. and then in between there, the, in in all the branches except the Air Force, there's a warrant officer rank. So I started out as a, uh, uh, I enlisted in the Marine Corps for two years in 1972. Vietnam was going on. I was married. My first son was on the way. And I did that math real quick. I could get drafted in the Army. I, I, my draft number was very high. I would have gotten drafted. So I, I did that math real quick. I could join the Marine Corps for two years or uh, get drafted in the Army for three years. I, I took the two years in the Marine Corps. <laughs> And I liked it. It was good to me. So I re-enlisted. I applied for and got selected as a warrant officer, which is a warrant officer is a specialist in a, in a specific field. Uh-huh. And then from there, once I uh, was uh, selected as a warrant officer, then you in Marine Corps, you can do apply for what's called a limited duty commission, where, again, you are working strictly in your military occupational specialty. So I got selected for that. And so I've had every rank from private to staff sergeant. W-1 to CWO-5, and first lieutenant to lieutenant colonel. I retired as lieutenant colonel as a strategic mobility officer. I planned the deployment of troops and equipment via whatever means of transportation was required to get them where they needed to go. So can I say, like, your specialty was logistics? Getting, subset of transportation, uh, subset of logistics, exactly. Getting getting our forces from, and I'm not going to ask you to give details because that's not fair, but getting them from point A to point B. And we're talking exactly. not, not like three vehicles. We're talking fleets and we're, 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 we're talking ships and airplanes and yeah, and at times trains and depending on where you were. So planning, like knowing, and then having to deal with, well, you have the plan, but then sometimes stuff comes up, things break and how to deal with that yep, in an effective manner. And in that situation, Charles, these are um, important decisions, but there's, there's men's lives um, on both ends, right? Like if something, if people don't get to a certain place in a certain time, there could be, you know, things that are dealt with right absolutely and also along the journey it's not an easy journey as well potentially that there could be issues that arise so i guess my point here is that these are like really hard decisions they're life and death uh decisions in the sense that the decisions that are made it, it, you know they have to be you have to be so precise and they have to work or else the, the ramifications and the things that happen are are negative correct yep okay um 
So I'm going to throw this out here now, but I have other questions. It's just an interesting parallel. And why I asked the question, Charles, is because to hear you speak, and I was smiling when you were speaking about your your story, because you have this way of sharing your journey, and it's just very matter of fact. Um, <laughs> and you you and you're laughing. And I'm just saying, man, this guy has got nerves of steel, like talking about this and just like, hey, this is it. It's it's very matter of fact. And so I think it's it's really fascinating to me. Like I being the listener, and here we are, we're like 17 minutes in. Sometimes this happens to me when we're like 45 minutes in, but in a very quick time frame, I'm able to see kind of like all right, your role in the Marines, what what you ended your career with, the 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 duties and responsibilities you had almost prepare you for this this fight. That's how I see it from my perspective. And I don't know if the listeners just picked that up. And that's why I asked that question because I often see where people go through experiences or they have certain experiences in their life um, that prepare them possibly for what they're going through with pancreatic cancer and how you deal with it. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. And I, I never really related it like that, but uh, that that is true. Yes, it's it's fascinating for me, right? As like I'm I'm taking notes here, and to to have you like again, I was smiling when you're telling your story. You were like so matter of fact, and this is the, this is a compliment. I'm not trying to I'm not being disrespectful or anything, but it it's just so powerful. And maybe for the audience listening and watching, to hear you talk about how you've dealt with this. And I haven't even asked this question here, but I'm going to ask it now. Like, okay, let's think about the timeline. June 11th, 2020, the country shut down in March of 2020. I didn't, you didn't even mention it, but I assume going through what you went through from 2020 through probably 2022, you were by yourself. You were, your wife, who was your biggest advocate, wasn't probably going into Hopkins with you when you, when you were doing chemo and then the surgery, I assume you were by yourself. Uh, for the chemo I was now for the, for the, uh, the five day recovery period when I was in the hospital for, uh, the Whipple surgery, she was able to come and visit me. Um, so, but yes, for the, for the most part, I was by myself and, um, my wife still works. I'm re- I'm retired obviously, but my wife still works. So, um, even, I still spend a lot of time by myself. Yeah. So but Which, it did make it worse during during COVID because you know you've got all this stuff going on and you don't really have the human interaction where you can you can talk to people and and maybe not talk about the pancreatic cancer, but talk about other things to get your mind off of. So yeah, correct. that that was difficult. Yeah. Which is like, we, we've talked about this on previous episodes and we were podcasting during that time. It was just, I thought it was like inhumane, honestly. Um, you know, it's bad enough that people get this diagnosis, but then to realize, like, I remember we heard stories of like, you know, loved ones uh, dropping them off in the parking lot and then waiting in the parking lot for, you know, texts, phone calls. We interviewed a family and there was a great picture where the guy, the the spouse was waving to the wife from the window. And that became kind of like a thing during that time, right? We saw yeah. all across the country, you know, caregivers standing outside, sitting in lawn chairs, you know, with like their picnic baskets and their loved one waving from the windows of the yeah. infusion center, right? It's like so, it was like, it was almost like, and it's like going to the zoo, 
right? <laughs> like if you think about, like I know we can laugh about it now, but think about it then. Like so that that mental torture that people mm-hmm. had to go through on both sides, the the caregivers and also the patient. And for you, like okay, you're getting this diagnosis. You don't know what to expect. You're by yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's just so crazy. But so going back to, you know, you, very systematic, um, very, uh, you know, you have the plan, you're following the plan, the plan is working and we're moving. And so going back to what I originally brought up here in this point, you know, with regards to your role, it's just really fascinating to me, Charles. And it just is like something that I, you know, I started to see often, you know, with people, um, you know, in, in experiences in life. I don't know. And, and, you know, it's, it, this is loaded for me to say to you right now, like, this is heavy. Like you look back at, you know, you put 27 years in and you did that, but did you, you know, it probably has never come to it other than me bringing it up right here on this podcast that not to say that that was the reason why you got the disease or anything like that, but like it prepared you to, to fight this, right? Yes. The, the things that you went through prepared you for that. And would it be a different experience if you went down a different path or didn't have those experiences, right? Uh-huh. Um, which is just so fascinating from a, a listening perspective here, um, from my perspective. So I just wanted to, that, that was so glaring in this first 17 minutes, uh, this first part of this podcast. And I just, I, 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 I love that. And I think it's awesome, um, that we can kind of connect the dots here and, and paint a little bit of a picture here, because I truly do believe, um, and I've seen this where, you know, people's previous experiences have prepared them to fight this and in a positive way. Um, so it's just, it's just really fascinating to me. Your history in terms of health, um, I want to back up my second question or third question here. You said like three years ago, you started to have this pain in the lower back. I know in the military, like it's a, it's a grueling job. Was there ever a time in hindsight's always 2020 where you look back, uh, you know, was there, was health a, a concern for anything? You know, was it, uh, anything that ever kind of like, as you look again, hindsight being 2020, you could look back and say, oh, you know, 10 years ago I had this GI issue and it just was, you know, kind of, it went away and, you know, I've been fine. Or maybe there was another health issue that you had previously that, you know, was, could have been a precursor or just maybe like a warning sign. No, I was always in, in good health. Um, I never had any, any major issues. Um, no, obviously no back pain. Um, so I, I, I always thought that I was in, in very good health. I stayed active. Um, when I retired, I got a little bit lazy, but then, then I, I then I saw that I was putting on some weight and uh, I needed to, to get back at it. So um, health was always good. And, and before I was diagnosed, um, I was walking five, six, seven, sometimes 10 miles a day every day. Wow. Um, and I, I've, I've, I need to get back into that. I haven't quite yet. I am. I am active. I can do my I do my own yard work and wash my vehicles and ride my motorcycle and, and things like that. But uh, um no, I was always in very good health and, and never didn't like to go to the doctor. If I needed to, I would, but uh, I wouldn't go for if, you know, little minor things, I would just let them kind of run their course. So um, no, there were never any, any major health issues. And in terms of family history, I know we, we do know now with pancreatic cancer, there is a big uh, genetic component to it. Um, family history, is there any history of cancer or pancreatic it's, cancer for that? <clears throat> 
it's funny you should bring that up, Dino. Um, my my dad died of. I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can. I, I have his death certificate here. Uh, it was a form of pancreatic cancer. I'm not if I'm not mistaken. It was um, L A N carcinoma. Does that sound familiar yep. at all? Cholangioma carcinoma. Yep. Is and yes. Is uh, is that a form of pancreatic cancer? Um, I'm not an expert. Uh, on that, at least I'm not, I'm not going to go out on a, uh, I mean, cholangioma I've heard of, um, but so I'm not sure Charles that that's, um, you know, that's something I'd have to look into, but so there is a history of cancer in the well, family. And, and yeah, he got sick and he, he died within four weeks, uh, from, from that recently, and, or are you, this is years ago. Uh, this was uh, years ago, uh, 2008. Okay. Uh, and then my mom, uh, she was a breast cancer survivor from many years ago. And then uh, a few, let's see, she's been gone three years now, four years now. Um, it metastasized to, to her pancreas. And once it metastasized to her pancreas, she was gone within three weeks. So there definitely is um, uh, the... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the history of, of cancer uh, in the family. So I, I got to ask them the next question that, that gets teed up here is being at Hopkins, I'm sure they did genetic testing for you. Um, was that inconclusive or they didn't find anything? They didn't find anything. That's got to be pretty frustrating. I got to imagine. It is, yes. And, and obviously, I am. I have uh, uh, three of my own children, one that, that I have uh, adopted from a, uh, a previous relationship. And obviously, I'm concerned for for all of them because the his, you know the uh, the history is there. Yeah. Well, I, I know. And do you have siblings? I have one brother. He's two years older than me. And he's healthy, fine, no issues. Um. He's not healthy. He's not fine, but he, he <laughs> no he cancer. Has other, he has other issues. Okay, but no uh, cancer. No, no cancer. No. Okay. Um, yeah, you know the genetics piece. I mean, we, you know, they do know now that you know they say anywhere between five and ten percent of the pancreatic cancer cases in the United States are from some sort of genetic mutation, and that is a, a space that's moving fast and ever evolving. I feel. We do know that there's about seven genes, I think it's seven, it might be eight now, that you know, if you have one of them, um, the BRCA is probably the most popular one because of breast cancer. BRCA right. is also mm -hmm. associated with breast cancer and colon cancer. You know, if you have, let's say the BRCA gene, statistically, yes, it goes up uh, pretty significantly. But it doesn't guarantee that you get it, the cancer, right? And that that's something that I just want to put out there. But um, you know, it is encouraged to be in surveillance to do surveillance sooner with the diseases that have surveillance, like colonoscopies, like mammograms. Um, you know, prostate cancer is also linked to the BRCA uh, melanoma as well. So you know, they they suggest that you get your skin checked by a dermatologist, that you you know regularly get your PSA levels checked for men. Um, you know, for women, also ovarian cancers linked to the BRCA gene. So, you know, getting mammograms annually at a younger age. Um, also, you know, your your uh, pap smear test that as well that where they can see for ovarian cancer. So, you know, the the frustrating piece though, <laughs> you know, um, for pancreatic cancer, we don't have that, right? So, mm -hmm. like, then what do you do? Um, and and recently, and I say recently, within the last three to four years. 
and we've had a play, we've played a part in this. Um, you know, there have been high risk clinics across the world that have been created. So, you know, now you can get into surveillance. Um, unfortunately there isn't a test, but there's surveillance, um, you know, and you, in any time you do any type of diagnostic test, you know, whether it's an EUS or whether it's, uh, you know, the endoscopic ultrasound where they go down and in, into your uh, stomach or, you know, an MRI, there's always risks associated with any type of diagnostic testing. Nothing's ever a hundred percent risk-free, but the, the pros outweigh the cons, right. Um, mm-hmm. in, in determining that. But I think the one thing, and you mentioned this in your story though, you know, knowledge is power. Um, so first of all, knowing that there is a risk, um, you know, from a genetics piece is important. So if you do have a high family occurrence of cancers and all cancers, not just particular cancers, but it, it comes, I think, a little bit more glaring and concerning when there is a, a high, high propensity of one particular cancer like pancreatic cancer or breast cancer, because the odds are something's there. But to go get in genetic testing and, but the genetics piece is moving. And I would say, you know, we've heard a lot, I've talked to a lot of people where they said, Hey, I did genetic testing 10 years ago and nothing showed up. Go get it redone because uh-huh. the science is ever evolving. And I think as we move forward, and this is my point, you know, knowing that you had a mom and dad, you know, it's just so fascinating how fast things are moving right now from using AI to, you know, now with a, there was a big report just recently with, you know, vaccine trials that showed a lot of promise that were personalized, that were sequenced DNA and RNA. There's just so much happening and it's happening so quick because of technology mm-hmm. that potentially, you know, I feel eventually what may happen is, you know, with these families that have been told like, hey, there's no genetic link that we know of, eventually that will all kind of make sense. Like they'll find the reasons why, you know, in your point, like you had a dad who died from cancer, you had a mom, you know, breast cancer, which identified both eventually, you know, went to the pancreas and now you have pancreatic cancer. Like there's a reason for that potentially. I hope that's where we get. Um, I hope it happens sooner than later for, for everyone. Um, but I think the genetics piece, as we, as we continue to dig, as science continues to dig into the genetics, I think we'll find more and more and more, um, of these things. And to your point, you have three kids, like this just helps the next generation, (laughs) right. In terms of, you know, what they're, what they're able to do and how they're able to handle things, you know, for them. And there is one more piece of this puzzle that, that I would like to, to bring up. Um, I'm, hopefully you're familiar with the, uh, uh, the groundwater contamination at, at yeah. Camp Lejeune. Oh, yeah. Um, and with all the, the different types of cancer that have been attributed to that. Um, unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately, however how you want to look at it, pancreatic cancer is not one of those cancers that, uh, that they attribute to uh, the contaminated groundwater. And obviously, I was stationed at Camp Lejeune several times during that time period. So I'm, I'm, I'm involved with the, with the VA now. I'm not, I have no interest in the class action lawsuit where you see all the, all the lawyers. Cause yeah. you know, it's, it's, to me, it's not worth it. We get it. all the calls. We get yeah. all the robo calls. But um, I, I am involved with the VA to determine if it is in, it may be uh, a contributing factor to my cancer. And I, I had an appointment uh, a Monday of this week with a, uh, uh, a third party that the VA does third party assessments. Um, and, and we'll just see how that goes. But that, that is also a, uh, a piece of the puzzle that, that uh, may fit into uh, uh, the whole scheme of things at some point. 
So I'm I'm glad you brought that up. And that leads me to a next question. The PACT Act, which just got put Correct. through, right? Which so is for those- which, is, which is why you can now do the uh, the, the class action lawsuits. Uh, Correct. For the contaminated water. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So the PACT Act, for those that don't know, and we've talked about this, this will air after the, the podcast, um, that this does come up as well with, uh, with the active duty Marine. So the PACT Act now covers like these exposures, right? right. And I'm, and that's kind of rudimentary. But now, for those that served in the military, uh, for uh, you know veterans, um, if they've been exposed, because now I'm not a conspiracy theorist when I say this, but we are the government is acknowledged. And let, let me make sure I say this right, Charles. And correct me if I'm wrong. The government is acknowledging now that our armed forces our men and women have been exposed to things like chemicals in the water that they mm-hmm. were aware or maybe not aware, but they were exposed to it while they were in active duty, mm-hmm. as well as like burn pits. Contaminants uh, in the air from burn contaminants pits. Contaminants in the air mm-hmm. um, that are causing many of our veterans to have adverse effects from those contaminants that they were exposed to during their tenure of serving in the military. Exactly. And so yep. now the PACT Act protects those veterans from, you know, not receiving care for those ailments and for things that are happening. Did I do is that that kind of that's like rudimentary, that's but that yep. sums it up. That was it, yep. Yeah. So my question then on that then did you have exposure to burn pits? Um, I was in from 72 to 99. Um, and I got to figure out a polite way to say this. The only, only <laughs> real exposure I had to burn pits and, and people may not be aware of it when you're uh, out in the field and you're in a, a garrison environment where you're sleeping, you have tents set up and, and you're in a, a specific area for, for an extended period of time, whether it be a month, two months, um, they, they have um, outhouses, for lack of a better term, and to get rid of the uh, the human waste, you would throw um, diesel in these in these uh, drums, and and you would burn the human waste to uh, to dispose of it. So yeah, I was exposed to some of that, not not a, a great deal, but uh, yeah, I was exposed to that, and I did mention that in my claim with the uh, with the VA. And so I would assume then, given the tenure too, um, I know this has been big, um, the Agent Orange exposure as well, potentially too, or no? No, um, I didn't go to Vietnam. Uh, okay. the, the, the war was going on while I was in boot camp, but I, I, I didn't go to Vietnam, so I, I wasn't exposed to Agent Orange. I was exposed. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, it's it's kind of fascinating. Um, we've partnered with a couple of um, veterans groups here in the U.S., um, you know, we, we have seen and I've seen firsthand by talking to some of these groups that there is a high incidence of military operators being diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And we, you know, I don't know why the military groups, I think, are more of experts in determining that, you know, because of certain exposures. And, and I think there's, you know, I was just talking to one of our state senators, his office, because I had reached out to see what else we could do, you know, to help folks um, battling pancreatic cancer. And, you know, they said that, um, you know, the DOD, you know, with the PACT Act and this senator, you can 
we have two in Connecticut and, and one was very vocal and he sits on the veteran affairs committee. So you can do the math and figure out who that is. But, um, his staff was very gracious with their time. Uh, and, you know, they did say that the DOD, you know, the PACT Act is a big piece um, to that and recognizing, you know, that there, there, there are exposures that are leading to incidents for our, our military folks, right? Um, and they are trying to do the best that they can, you know, to limit exposures. But unfortunately, like exposures, like to your point, like you're in that environment, like you got to get rid of it. Like, what mm-hmm. do you do? There's, what's the alternative, I guess, to... Yep leave it there and potentially, you know, expose our military to getting sick in another way. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, I hate to say like, that's part of like, it's just, it is what it is, but that's not a good enough answer. Right. Charles. But you know, it, I, I don't, maybe no one, and I get it. Like in that situation, probably no one knew you know, I doubt maybe the power, maybe they did. I don't know. I, I shouldn't make that assumption, but I guess it's just, it just is what it is. And, you know, now like people are dealing with it and the reality of it. And and hopefully though, as society and a, as an organization, you know, we don't make the same mistakes twice, uh-huh. but sometimes, you know, with the systems, they're so big, similar to the the medical system, right? Like you, you and your wife, just to bring this back, you know, your wife, you guys just happened to be in Houston and you got really good care at a, at an amazing place at MD Anderson. You know, now you're in Baltimore and, you know, your neighbor works at Hopkins, right? And you get into one of the top centers in the country. And, and what I love about what you said is just that fact, right? And this is something that I preach, you know, with our, with our audience listening and with people who are recently diagnosed is like, you have to go to these high volume centers mm-hmm. because this is where the the things happen um but also this is where they deal with this all day every day yep and there's a difference you know there is there is a unfortunately you know here in the united states it's not a public health system so you know it's kind of scary you know the care you get at johns hopkins is not the same as in you know northern or southern louisiana um Uh i'm not i'm not you know putting shame to Southern Louisiana. I mean, I, I would say that the care that you get at Johns Hopkins is not going to be the same as you get in Western part of Connecticut here, you know, at, mm-hmm. a, at a community hospital setting or in, in you know, maybe a community hospital setting in, you know, Northern California. It's just not the same. And so yeah, that's and I, you know, I, had, I had the opportunity. I could have gone to the local uh, county hospital here in Carroll County, but uh, I knew that that's not what, uh, what I needed to do knowing, um, uh, what what we found out about Johns Hopkins. So yeah, very fortuitous for me. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's such a, such an important piece of this is like, you know, for those listening, if, if you, if you do unfortunately get diagnosed with something like pancreatic cancer, find the closest center to you that is really an expert and has expertise and is a dedicated center to that. Um, that speaks volumes. Um, I know, unfortunately, not everyone has, you know, uh, direct access to that. They may live in, live in a very rural area, but there's so many groups that can help you get to those places, not only Project Purple, and I'll just, you know, little commercial for us, you know, we help facilitate that. And, and there's many other groups that do the same thing. Um, so you just don't have to do it alone, which is kind of a good segue because I know you've, you've talked about your wife a bit. Um, and I know we did talk a little bit about COVID and, you know, how weird that was that, the, you know, those treatment cycle to, to kind of go in by yourself. 
what's it meant to have you you mentioned something and I wrote down like your wife was like you know this biggest advocate she's gone through breast cancer herself but what's that meant for you and and just let's talk a little bit about that if we can hear um about that because I think that's an important piece you know in in fighting cancer that you have someone like that to, to help you because because no one can do it alone you got to have you got to have support oh absolutely and and um uh, whenever we we have um, a video conference or a, um, a, a in person visit with, with my oncologist, uh, Valerie's there with, is there with me. Uh, she's prepared the questions that, that need to be asked. She takes copious notes. I've got a she has a file on me that's probably three inches thick by now. Um, she she obviously monitors all my uh, my uh, blood tests and uh, my CA 19s, and um, I also do a. Um, a DNA marker uh, every quarter to uh, to see um, it, it shows what the cancer is doing and and uh, you know we keep track of that and unfortunately it, it has been staying very stable. Uh, CA nineteen is has been fairly stable also, but uh, she is just totally a godsend for what she does, how she manages it, the the notes that she takes, the questions that she asks. Um, as I said, she keeps me in line. She makes sure that I take my meds when I need to take them. And, uh, she doesn't let me overexert myself. So, um, I'm not exactly sure where I'd be if it, if it wasn't for her. That's pretty special. I got a couple questions left for you, Charles here, and then, um, we're going to give our audience an opportunity to, to follow you where they can connect with you if they have questions or just kind of follow your journey as you, as you continue to, to go through this. And this, these are loaded questions. There's no right or wrong to it, but it's just based on your experience and what you've gone through and, and how you would answer them. Someone who is listening to this podcast or watching it, they just get this diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. What advice would you give them? And, and it could be a couple things. It doesn't really have to be one thing, but given your experience and, and you know what's gotten you through you know, the last three years here, uh, what would that advice be? I think the first thing is uh, prepare for the uh, for the long haul. It's not something that's uh, that's going to resolve itself quickly. Um, you'll have to make some adjustments to your uh, to your lifestyle, but um, don't give up. Just keep a positive attitude. Uh, do the best that you can to uh, maintain your lifestyle, and and just continue to march. It's powerful stuff. My last question here. And this is always a loaded question. I know you said you, you listened to the podcast, uh, one of the episodes, so you probably know this is coming. Again, uh, given your experience, and there's no right or wrong to this, uh, but given your experience, what's your definition of pancreatic cancer? Um, you know, I, I did listen to it, and I knew that that question was going to come up, and I was trying to come up with a with a good answer, but um, uh it's a battle. Um, you may, you're, you're probably not going to win it. Um, but you have the opportunity to fight it as long as you can. Um, and just, you, you have to just continue to, to, to keep going. Don't, don't give up. Just, um, you just, you just have to maintain a positive attitude and, and just, um, do the best that you can. And I, I think that's probably it, you know, just, be positive. Don't, don't never, never, ever give up. Never give up. Be a fighter, a fighter or survivor. You know, I'm, I'm not sure that what the difference is between a fighter and survivor. I think that 
you know, the five-year mark makes you a survivor. Up until that point, you're uh, you're a fighter. But uh, I'll fight until my last breath, whether it be two days from now, three years from now. But I will I will always continue to fight this this disease. So powerful, Charles. And uh, I, I just want to throw this last piece in. Um, you're a survivor. And, you know, this is something that we've talked recently quite a bit about. You know, the fighter survivor, to me, it's synonymous. Um, but you're surviving. You're alive, right? You're living your life. Yep. So to me, that's surviving. Um, you know, the five-year mark, and, and I think I talked about this yesterday on recording a podcast that'll air. And uh, not that I'm trying to be a wise guy here, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to anyone. I, I'm sure there's some statistical significance with the disease at five years. Why isn't it four years? And, and again, I'm not trying to be a wise guy, so I, I'm going to do some research. Maybe we'll do a podcast on that. Like, why? Why does everyone? Why is everyone enamored with the five-year mark? Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm sure there's probably some standard deviation at, you know, five years that, you know, the life expectancy or goes this way, or, you know, at four years, it, it's not, a, it's, it's not that trajectory or at certain time points. Right. And I'm sure they know, like just looking at historical data, um, you know, history usually, you know, is a good indicator, but I always say like, there's no statistic out there, Charles, that doesn't say that you're not part of the 12%, which is the survivorship, right? Uh-huh. For everyone, right? Like there's no doctor, there's no scientist that has a crystal ball. So, and, and, you know, I just, we, we just had a, we've had this lady on our podcast. She was stage four, four years ago. She did 70, 78 or 76 rounds of Flufornox. May 1st, she got a clean bill of health. She has no evidence of disease. Good for her. You know, and, and she's, she's 60, 65, 66. So like, you know, I guess my point in sharing that is like, you know, going back to the survivor fighter thing that you bring up, man, everyone's a survivor, you know, you're alive, you're living. And I, I think, yes, statistics are important. Um, the five-year mark is, I think the benchmark and we'll do a podcast on why that is that that'll be a podcast episode. But I, I don't know if I've ever really got an answer from many of the clinicians on why the five-year mark statistically, but it, it a three-year survivor to me is still like five years, like you're here, you know? And I think that's what we need to continue to celebrate and, and share. And that's why I love bringing people on the podcast like yourself, because it's inspiring. And look, you're, you're, you're going through really, really heavy stuff. But look at the way you're 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 fighting it, and the way you're battling it, and the way you're living. That's what we need to celebrate. And and these are all all wins. And yes, it it, it is a fight, it is a battle. Uh, but to your point, you don't give up, and you keep finding positives, and and you keep fighting and fighting and fighting. And I think like we get hung up on this five year number. I don't know. And and. Uh, you know, we'll we'll do a podcast on why that is, but to me, it's it's irrelevant because you're here and you're surviving, and um, you're not probably going to change. Maybe you'll have a little bit more hair in five years, Charles, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and maybe that'll be the only big difference. But you'll still be here, and you'll still be the person you are. And one thing I, I do want to add, um, I, I don't know if you can see my shirt or not, but uh, or if you did any any uh, 
uh, background on me, but uh, every time I go for an infusion, I wear um, a loud Hawaiian print shirt. I and I it. do that for, for two reasons. First of all, none of us want to be there. We, we don't want to be there. We'd much rather be someplace else doing something else, but, but we know that we have to be there. So it gives the other people, they, they look at me and say, look at that silly old man with that silly Hawaiian shirt. Or they say, look at him. He's, he's, he has a positive attitude. He's here. He's colorful. He's brightening our day. So um, we appreciate that. So that, that's why every infusion, I, I wear a different Hawaiian shirt. And I, and I hope that it, it does change some people's, uh, at least their day. I love it. I love it. And I, I just went to your, uh, <laughs> and I'm getting a laugh here, Charles, reading your, so your Instagram profile, which is where we're going to go next, where people can connect. Um, but I'm laughing at the title. It's curmudgeon underscore in underscore training. Yep. But if you uh, type in Charles Tucker, it'll come up. <laughs> and, yep, not a full curmudgeon yet. I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So on that note, I see all these Hawaiian shirts. Uh, do we have purple? Do you have a purple one yet? Uh, I do. Actually, I, have, one? I have two. I have two purple ones. I love it. I love it. Well, you know what? You just given me some inspiration. I think we need some Project Purple Hawaiian shirts, and you're gonna get one. There you uh, go. Find a way to get get some of those made up. Um, so best place to connect with you. I just give it. I put it out there. But is Instagram the best place if someone wants to follow your journey? Watch the shirt you're yeah. you're wearing. Yep. So it's curmudgeon underscore in i n underscore training yep that's me awesome awesome well charles thank you for allowing me to share your journey with pancreatic cancer here in the project purple podcast um it's been awesome it's an inspiration as i said when i started this uh episode Thank you for all that you've done um, in your service uh, to to give us the opportunities that we all have, um, and and probably you don't hear that enough. Um, so that's why I'm saying it here again. It's it's truly an inspiration, not only the service that you provided for the country, but also uh, the way you're fighting pancreatic cancer. And for me to be able to share your journey, it's been an, it's been awesome to have you here on the podcast. I appreciate it, Daniel. I certainly have enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear today, feel free to share this episode. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to follow us on our YouTube channel. Till next time, please be safe. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. Okay.